This is the intersection. The intersection. This is the Intersection Podcast, recorded Thursday, the 21st of September, 2017. Episode 21, iPhone Eve. The Intersection Podcast is only made possible through the support of its listeners and sponsors. If you have a product or service that you feel may appeal to our audience, please contact sponsor at intersectioncast.com. Hello, John from Wildman here and welcome to The Intersection, the podcast that bridges together the worlds of tech and pop culture. And um, this week is, um, you know, the um, the iPhone Eve week, the uh, the week of anticipation before a big iPhone launch. And uh, lots of people out there looking forward to uh, this Friday, which might very well be now or might very well be past by the time you listen to this. Uh, and the release of the iPhone 8 and the iPhone 8 Plus. Now, normally this is sort of uh, t- time of the week where, you know, the excitement in myself will be building up, uh, looking forward to a new Apple device. But um, I'm sitting this one out i've decided to wait for the iphone 10 as have many others it would seem um i just don't think the 8 and the 8 plus are significant enough upgrades uh from the handset i have already which is the iphone 7 and um it it, it really seems to be um the 8 seems the 8 series of phones seem to be there really just just as to offer a, a cheaper point of entry um simply to make things seem a little bit easier when, when we uh, take into consideration the price of the iPhone 10, um, you know, you're looking at 800 pounds versus over a thousand pounds. So um, it's all about um, perception. And um, I think that's, that's the reason for the very existence of the eight. Uh, but nonetheless, there's lots of people out there who are looking forward to the eight and the eight plus, um, you know, um, it may look very much like the seven and the six S and the six before it. Um, but um, you know, there are some new features, you know, you can look forward to wireless charging, a faster processor. You can look forward to an improved camera. Um, you can, um, you know, look forward uh, to, um, you know, true tone, a true tone display. And, and you know, and in terms of the actual handset itself, uh, look forward to a, um, a glass back. So it's slightly different. Um, but, it, you know, it, it's true that um, things don't seem to be quite as um, excitable as they normally would uh, prior to an iPhone release. And um, I've actually uh, have some uh, first-hand accounts um, from from people um, who can who can verify that uh, people from the inside, basically. Um, I've managed to speak to um, a couple of um, contacts um, from the mobile networks. I spoke to a person I, I know who works for EE, and the person I know who works for O2. Um, now, both of those people said exactly the same thing to me that. Um, the, uh, the reception of the uh, iPhone 8 um, has been a little bit lukewarm. Um, people have inquired about it, but um, the people have generally decided to wait it out until the 10 comes out uh, and to uh, just to make a decision then just to see what works better for them. Um, it seems the reason why people who are opting to... Um, to um to get the uh, to get a new iPhone on a, a network contract are recognizing the fact that um 
it'd only cost them a little bit more per month uh, to to go for the 10 as opposed to the 8. So we're probably talking the difference of, um, you know, £5 or, or £10 a month, um, the difference between getting um, an iPhone 8, say, 64 gigabytes compared to an iPhone 10, 64 gigabytes. Um, and obviously that's a little bit easier to swallow. Um, the price is a little bit upsetting still to many people, the iPhone 10. But, you know, if it's the difference of £5 a month, you're generally going to go for the better product, aren't you? So they've said that um, um, the uh, the pre-orders for the iPhone 8 and the iPhone 8 Plus have been quite slow. And in actual fact, um, <laughs> something's happened for the very first time in a long time where, well, normally when um, Apple open pre-orders for a new model of iPhone, you have to be quick. And within, I would say, the window of um, 15 to 20 minutes, um, shipping times will slip from launch day to maybe a week, two weeks uh, um, afterwards and then onwards. But um, in actual fact, that wasn't the case with the iPhone 8 and 8 Plus. You could um, very well, a few days after pre-orders were open, um, go and pre-order an iPhone 8 and, it, and Apple will be able to um, deliver it to you and have it shipped to you for launch day, which suggests to me that either they've, um, they've uh, manufactured quite a lot of units or the demand isn't as uh, quite as red hot as it would, would have been with any other model in the past. And I think that's probably the case. Um, so I'm going to give it a little test now, actually. I'm going to, as we speak, go onto Apple's website and I'm going to say... I want an iPhone 8 for tomorrow. And tomorrow is actually the launch day. Tomorrow would be the 22nd of September. So if I go to pre-order. Um, okay, I want an iPhone 8. Let's say I want an 8 Plus because obviously that is the better model of the two. I want an 8 Plus. I want it in gold. I want 64 gigabytes. And okay, well, it slipped a little bit, to be perfectly honest with you. So now an 8 Plus was, according to Apple's site, uh, dispatched within one to two weeks. Uh, that is a 64 gig. But if you go for 256, dispatched one to three business days. So you can still get one on launch day if you want, depending on the configuration that you're after, um, which is very interesting. Um, let's see. You can go for store pickup. Let's see. I'm going to put in the postcode of my local Apple store. And what do you know? Available for collection from the 25th of September. So, you know, it's not that long a wait. Um, and this is just the day before. Um, so, you know, uh, this is unheard of when it comes to an iPhone release, really, because normally you'd be waiting weeks and weeks if you left it this late. Uh, just to compare, I'm going to go to a regular iPhone 8. And, um, oh, this one seems to, um, a little bit of a longer wait here. This one delivers, um, 29th of September, apparently. Let's see. Okay, so they're slipping a little bit, but definitely not as drastic as before. And, um, you know, like I said, I've had it on good authority that the, uh, the reception, um, the public reception to the iPhone 8 has been a little bit, um, a little bit lukewarm and who can blame them because Apple have done a very strange thing. They've announced, uh, you know, they, they've announced the iPhone 8 on one hand and it's all well and good, but then they've announced something even better on the other hand. And there seems to be a month and a half wait, uh, um, for the, for the even better model. So really, I mean, that will to an extent cannibalize sales of the eight. So I'm not entirely surprised there. Um, and you know, you've got one thing to remember that, uh, 
people who sort of rush out on launch day or launch weekend to get the the new iPhone or any new smartphone for that matter, uh, these are the type of people who love to have the latest and greatest thing, latest and greatest gadget. And people who like to have the latest and greatest thing are going to wait for the latest and greatest thing. So they're going to wait for the iPhone 10. They're not really going to settle for the 8. So um, I'm not surprised at all thinking about it. Um, and will Apple care? I don't think Apple would care at all, to be quite honest, because more money for them if people um, purchase iPhone 10s instead of 8s. Um, they won't be able to spin the sales of um, the iPhone 8 in, in a way that they've done with previous models. They, they tend to say things like um, fastest selling iPhone yet and they've you know, broken sales records, blah, blah, blah. I don't think they'll be able to sell it, say this at all for the iPhone 8. Um but um, yeah, you know, um, it, it does seem like people are waiting for the 10. So that's going to be the real challenge. If you're waiting for the iPhone 10, you're going to have to be pretty quick um, as soon as um, pre-orders open in, in November, um, in October, I should say, late October. Um, so that's what I'm going to go for, I've decided. I've decided that I'm going to go for an iPhone 10 um, and it's, I mean, it's a tough one. I'm not happy at all with the price. And it concerns me that not just Apple are doing this, but Samsung are doing this too. They've done it with their uh, Galaxy Note 8. Um, this sort of £1,000 um, threshold that we've, we've crossed now. The problem is these, these phones are now costing um, more than home computers or your average home computer. And although we probably do rely on them as pieces of technology more so than our day-to-day -day computers, um, the we are kind of, you know, if, if there is an enthusiastic um, response to the iPhone 10 and, and even the Galaxy Note 8, this is only going to encourage, um, you know, the big manufacturers to uh, to keep these prices up. Um, and so we're going to see this a thousand pound handset become, you know, handset costs become the norm. And that is, geez, that's quite concerning, um, particularly if you want to get something like this on, on a monthly contract, um, because just looking at the prices for the iPhone 8 and 8 Plus even, you, it was very rare to find um, a monthly payment uh, with mobile phone network um, lower than £50 a month. Um, so it is quite concerning. And, and I think now that because the cost of these things are so high, I think gone are the days where we up, upgrade these things annually. I, I don't think that really works um, the, because there's so many different models, particularly of iPhones right now, and so many different uh, points of entry. The resale uh, value of these things have, has suffered a, quite a bit. Um, so you don't get as much, um, you know, as much money for, for selling your, your model on, you know, in the next year. Um, so you would have to sort of put up, put down some more money just to just to um, to upgrade to the next to the next uh, next iteration. But the problem is that you know you're going to have to go through this fuss every year, and the changes now, the updates between the phones. I mean, if we look at the seven and the eight series, for example, um, it's, it's all it's very incremental, um, and then this is not big enough really for you know for for someone to to upgrade on a yearly basis, in my opinion. Um, and um, I, I I just think um, particularly as Apple do tend to support older 
older devices uh, with their iOS updates. I, you know, I think you you get yourself a device. It's it's going to last you a good two to three years. You're not really going to miss out on much. So, um, so I've decided. Yeah, I'm going to go for the iPhone 10. It's expensive. I know. I'm not happy about the price. I know. But I made a promise to myself that that has to absolutely last me for at least two years. So, you know, the next next version next year, I, you know, I don't care what it does. It could even give me a back massage. I, I don't care. Um, I'm going to hold out and, and, and make the iPhone 10 last if I happen to get one on launch day, which is going to be another matter entirely. So predictably, um, the mobile phone networks really did wait until the 11th hour um, to reveal their pricing for the iPhone 8 and iPhone 8 Plus. Um, I mean, as I said last time, they treat it like a game of poker. They, you know, they want to see who makes the move first and who has the better hand in terms of their prices before they reveal their own hand. And um, so, the, you know, they did that. And um, the prices aren't too much of a surprise. I won't go through them now because um, if you were interested or are interested in the eight, then you you know you can see the prices online. And chances are you would have pre-ordered already. But what I want to talk about is something a little bit unusual. And I've noticed that um, the mobile phone networks have given a little hint, a little clue as to what they will be charging for the iPhone 10. Now, we've got to wait until November for the iPhone 10. Um, Pre-orders um, do begin officially the end of October. But um, it, it's interesting that the networks have, have given us a little, you know, revealed a little bit of information about what they're going to charge. Um, because one would have thought that they would want people to um, to seriously consider the eight. They would want to get as many sort of new customers or extensions or contracts as possible. Um, but I think this ties into what I was saying about a lukewarm response to the iPhone eight. Um, I think a lot of the customers were uh, have been wandering into their stores and or sending emails or whatever online, um, asking um, specifically about pricing for the eight for the ten. I should say. Um, and have decided to wait to compare. So I think what they have done is they've decided to give us a little hint in, t in terms of the pricing just so customers can, you know, compare and they can make a quick decision. And I actually think that the mobile networks aren't too confident that many people will accept the pricing for the iPhone 10, particularly the 256 gigabyte model. Um, which um, and, I, and I think that ideally they would want people to opt for the um, the eight instead. Um, but um, the, I mean, like I said, it's bit it's unusual, and we do have some pricing already. Um, I'll go through some of the deals, um, for example. But they haven't revealed their full price plans. They've only revealed a little bit. They've given a taste of what a typical tariff could be like, and most of the networks are quoting. Uh, prices for the lowest point of entry in terms of the iPhone 10, the 64 gigabyte model. So let me start with Vodafone. Um, Vodafone only give one example. Um, they say um, they have a great uh, range of uh, value plans, such as £74 a month uh, with £100 upfront cost for the handset. And that gives you 40 gigabytes of data. It just says 40 gigabytes plus extra 10 gigabytes. I'm not sure what that means. Maybe it's a promotion. So let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Say 50 gigs of data. And normally it's unlimited everything else. Unlimited calls, unlimited text messages. So £100 down and £74 a month gives you 50 gigs of data with Vodafone. 
Um, moving on to O2. Um, now, O2 is currently my network, but um, I am, I'm considering switching. Now, O2 have revealed two price plans for the iPhone 10. Again, the 64 gigabyte model. They are, well, there's, a, there's caveats here. Basically, um, these price plans, um, they vary in terms of the data uh, that O2 allow you to use. Um, but if you are an existing O2 customer, an existing customer, then you will get an extra 10 gigs of data a month for free. So bear in mind, an extra 10 gigs of data a month for free. And there are a lot of people who took out um, O2's yearly upgrade, um, upgrade on us uh, program last year when the iPhone 7, 7 Plus was released. Now they would be eligible to upgrade. They would have to trade in their iPhones. I can tell you right now that what O2 are offering to trade in that iPhone to pay off the remaining handset charge um, is less than what you would get on a site such as Enviraphone. So if you are in that position, I, 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 I urge you to shop around the phone recycling sites, see what they can offer you. If they offer you more than O2, take that money and pay off your handset, um, your, your remaining handset balance with O2, and then you would be free to upgrade or even move network once you've done that. And that's provided you're on the refresh uh, tariff. Now, O2's prices are, so they so they have a 10 gigabyte plan, 10 gigabytes of data, unlimited minutes and text messages, and they're quoting an upfront cost. Now, this is obviously, um, this is quite amusing, actually, an upfront cost of $39.99 for a £1,000 phone, um, and the monthly cost of £72. And that's at 10 gigs of data. If you're an existing O2 customer, that becomes 20 gigs of data. So I think already that's better than what Vodafone are offering. Um, alternatively, they also are offering 20 gigs of data, um, which, again, that will be 30 gigs if you're an existing customer. And with an upfront cost of $29.99, which is not much at all uh, for such an expensive phone, but that uh, will set you back £77 a month. So we're going to the £70 range for these things, and it's it, it's getting a little bit ridiculous now. Now, bear in mind, there will be other prices uh, revealed by the networks nearer to the time, but these are, um, these are the ones they've decided to let us into right now. And so from their point of view, they consider um, these particular deals as more attractive. I think they're trying to... Um, reduce the burden on, on the customer for producing, you know, putting a lot of money down up front uh, for such an expensive handset. Um, but it might be worth your while putting more money down because your monthly uh, your monthly costs are, are going to be the ones that really sort of uh, bite you in the backside if things get out of hand. Now, um, so O2 um, have some more, they have some other sort of uh, offers, other sort of um, benefits if you if you join O2. Uh, so, for example, you can take advantage of O2 Priority, which is a number of discounts, concessions and freebies and things that you, you can enjoy anywhere. We're talking restaurants, cafes, uh, retail stores, etc. Uh, just for being an O2 customer. Um, you also, um, if you take their 20 gigabyte tariff, so the example I've just given you, that would be the £77 a month one, ouch. You can upgrade on them again, so within 12 months' time, you can hand back your iPhone X, the iPhone 10, and get a new handset. Uh, you still have to pay the money down uh, for the new handset, but um, you will have the opportunity to upgrade early, and um, you would essentially be signing or extending your contract for a further two 
years or starting your two-year contract again. Um, now, bearing in mind, when you do any sort of upgrade plan with the mobile networks, um, that um, you, you are agreeing to sign up um, a new contract on a tariff that is just as expensive or if not more expensive than the one you've just come off. So be very careful because that 20 gigabyte plan in this example of O2's pricing, which will set you back £77 a month, will mean that in 12 months time, if you want to upgrade to the next iPhone, you will be obliged to, um, to sign on to... Uh, a tariff at least 77 pounds a month um so it you know you be very very careful i would say if you could put more money down do so um o2 have some other benefits as well um o2 have a um, a deal right now for all the iphone plans uh where um there is a free there's free screen replacement so basically you have one opportunity if you were to damage break smash shatter your screen doesn't matter what the circumstances are o2 in the duration of a contract on one one occasion only will have that screen replaced and the way that was described to me uh, by an o2 representative is that uh, the next day someone a courier will arrive uh, with a replacement iphone handset for you uh, they take the broken one and there you go a quick and easy replacement scheme Um, three, the network three don't seem to have anything at all in terms of pricing just yet. They have a uh, register your interest uh, page and curiously enough, um, there's a few questions on that page. There's a form asking you what your preferred color and storage size is and, you know, it, it, it's nothing particularly useful. Um, Carphone Warehouse um, have a few prices up, but they're they're not sort of disclosing um, what networks these prices are for. So I mean, you can probably figure it out because some of them are quite close to the ones I've just just I've just read out for for you know um, O2 and uh, Vodafone. But um, so they say their options um, include um, twenty gigabytes of data a month. Um, laying down £179.99 upfront cost uh, and that will cost you £62.99 a month or 26 gigs of data a month if you lay down £100 upfront that will cost you £64 a month or 30 gigabytes a month for £129.99 money down for the handset and that will cost you £66 a month. So um, those be the prices. <laughs> now there's other, one one other network that I haven't mentioned yet, and that's um, EE. Now EE is probably the one I'm leaning towards because they have a great deal at the moment. Um, uh, you get six months uh, free Apple Music, and um, I already subscribed to Apple Music, so that will save me a chunk of money for six months. Um, you get 24 months, so that's the duration of your contract, um, BT Sport Access. And um, EE on their 4G Max plans, which are the ones with the, the higher data allocations, sort of um, 15 gigs onwards, um, they um, have an upgrade plan, They much like O2's upgrade plan. Um, the only difference with EE's one is that, well, first of all, the similarities are that after 12 months, you have the option to trade in your handset um, and essentially be free to put money down 
um, whatever the price may be, towards um, a new handset. And obviously, you'd have to sign up for you know a new a fresh uh, 24 month contract and again the same rules apply that um, your tariff has to be of equal value cost value um, equal or higher to the original one you were on um, now the difference I was going to say is that O2 allow you to pay off um, any proportion of your handset charge anytime you want uh, they actually split your monthly costs between your handset charge and your airtime charge and once you've cleared your handset balance with O2 you're free to go any point you want um, they don't offer you this option with EE um, the uh, monthly amount is fixed and there is no way you can pay more towards your handset specifically um, so EE have um, unveiled some prices on their website for the 64 gigabyte model of the iPhone 10. Um, they're all 4G max plan models, so they all um, qualify for the annual upgrade and the uh, six months of Apple Music, etc. The first one uh, offers you 15 gigs of gigabytes of data um, a month, and that's for a £99.99 uh, money down um cost and that will um for the handset and that will set you back 72.99 a month that seems to be a popular price 72.99 mm. um the other option is the same 15 gigs of data uh, if you can lay down half the amount that's 49.99 and that will set you back 77.99 a month ouch and um uh, the third option on their website is, um, well, it's 25 gigs of data a month, but there is a promotion. Um, and they say it ends the 2nd of November. So I guess it's just for the pre-order period of the iPhone 10, uh, where that 25 gig in the promotional period becomes 100 gigs of data a month. Uh, you only have to lay down £9.99 for the handset. And that will cost $82.99 a month, which is a lot of money. Again, I, I, I urge you guys, if you're interested in this, don't be tempted by these sort of these low amounts um, in terms of what's required of you to put down a deposit, well, deposit, put down money towards the handset, because they will trap you with very, very high monthly costs. And it might seem attractive now, but in three months' time, four months' time, you're going to be dreading that $82.99 minimum bill. Not to mention any other charges you've, you've you know, you've um, incurred on top of that. So be very careful. I would say put down as much as possible towards the handset. Now, that, again, that's so that's all the prices that they've revealed so far, the networks. And EE, again, um, their pricing is based on the 64 gigabyte model, because I think, quite frankly, if they were to quote the 256 gigabyte uh, model prices, it would be far too shocking and actually be a deterrent. Um, but I do have some news because I got some inside information from EE uh, in terms of the rest of their pricing plans for the iPhone 10. So the ones I've read out to you aren't the only ones. There are a number of other plans um, and um, I'll go through some of them right now, actually. Um, now, these ones are mainly um, price plans for if you leave a larger uh, a chunk of money down, down for the handset. So you, you're going to see lower 
monthly costs here. So for example, we've got a the one that gives you 15 gigabytes of data a month. And if you lay down a deposit of £299.99, that will set you back £62.99 a month. And that's with a 64 gigabyte iPhone 10. Um, if you want to go higher, 25 gigs a month, um, for the same price, $62.99, you're going to be required to lay down £349 a month. Um, there are some other options. Um, so, for example, if you uh, you don't you, you want to be just sort of below £70, you can pay £67.99 a month. And if you lay down £199.99, you get 15 gigs of data a month. Uh, likewise, if you lay down £249.99, you get 25 gigs. Now, that's all well and good, but uh, there are some of you out there who'd be interested in the 256 gigabyte model. And um, I've got some info here regarding EE's prices on that. So um, if you want to, let's say, so 15 gigabytes of data, um, if you want to stay 15 gigs of data, and you lay down £329.99 a month, uh, a month, sorry, <laughs> you lay down £329.99 for the handset, and you pay £67.99 a month for 256 gigabyte. So there's not much difference between the two, really, 64 and the 256, in terms of monthly pricing. Um, and if you wanted to... Let's see. Um, so what did I say? I said $329.99 money down um, for 15 gigs, £379.99 money down for 25 gigs. Uh, both of those plans will cost you $67.99 a month. Um, creeping up to £72.99 a month. Again, that price gets uh, banded around quite a lot. You can get yourself a 256 gigabyte iPhone 10 if you're prepared to lay down either £279.99 a month for a um, the 25 gig plan or £329.99 a month for the 40 gig plan. So, you know, it's expensive. This is definitely an expensive phone. Um, the thing that I've sort of learned is that um, the price plans are pretty much the same. You're going to cross the £50, the £65 threshold mainly, unless you're willing to put a lot of money down. Um, and there's not much difference. That's the thing between the 256 and the um, 64 gigabyte. I mean, there was obviously a difference in price. The two handsets, there's 100 and um 50 pounds difference between them but in terms of um the pain that you have to uh absorb every month um there's not much difference there so if you're sort of um on the fence i would say go for the larger model um if you have the means and let it last make it last for um the two years if you can now, I have to stress again that this is just indicative pricing. Um, these prices are publicly available, um, but they are subject to change. Now, um, I mentioned earlier on that I, I felt that um, the reason why there, there didn't appear to be much demand for the iPhone 8 was because the uh, majority of tech enthusiasts, and by that I mean the uh, type of people like myself who um, who 
who like to get these things on day one um, would rather wait and hold out for the better iPhone 10 handset. And we got a bit of news that broke um, on Wednesday, actually, which I find quite disturbing. Um, now, this news um, came from um, an, uh, an industry analyst um, who basically produced an investor's note who claimed that um, Apple actually haven't started production on the iPhone 10 yet like final production of, you know, of units that need to, need to go on sale, that they haven't even done that yet, that this will actually start in mid-October. Now, I find that a little hard to believe. Apple's had a long time to prepare for this. Um, and yes, we heard all the rumours that um, they were behind by, you know, at least one or two months simply because of the failed attempts to try and get Touch ID working underneath the screen. Um, but... To hear that um, final production on this phone won't begin until mid-October um, doesn't really make much sense. Um, it doesn't make much sense because the product goes on pre-order on the 27th of October and it's set to launch on November the 3rd. That doesn't really give them much time at all um, to, to manufacture many units. And it does seem that this is quite a large scale for this particular iPhone. It's a quite a large scale worldwide launch. I mean, normally with a new iPhone, we would have uh, the major territories would receive the, the, the phone first on day one. And then maybe perhaps a month or you know, three weeks to a month later, the next batch of territories. But it seems like um, this um, is what is the biggest um, worldwide launch, international launch in terms of their products to date. Um, so it, it does suggest that if this story was true, that supply is going to be severely constrained. I mean, severely constrained. Um, and it would be incredibly difficult to get hold of, of, of one of these things. So I, this is exactly why I, um, I, I take this report with um, a, a pinch of salt. Um, you have other um, analysts, for example, Min Chi Kuo, who, who, who is um, who, who's normally on the money, actually, in terms of um, his predictions. Um, so Min Chi Kuo cl claims that um, it could take Apple well into 2018 to fill all, all orders to basically um, to basically meet demand for the iPhone 10. So goodness me. Um and um, yeah, so, so you know, the production starts mid-October um, and there will be an additional delays apparently. Um, so they're expecting um, full production to, to ramp up um, in, you know, by the time we sort of hit the Christmas period in December. But that, that's insane. So it, it, it really does seem like if you want one of these things, if you are holding out for the iPhone 10, you have to be incredibly organized. You have to be ready on day one when pre-orders go live and to get your order in or else you're going to be disappointed or waiting for a long time and i actually think that if that is the case then this is going to make the whole debacle if you remember the long waiting time for airpods um you know the wireless earbuds um, um seem like a walk in the park i mean this is just insane so 
I would say um, if you are on the fence and if you are holding out to compare the iPhone 10 with the iPhone 8, um, be aware that you, there might be a bit of a weight on your hands if you, if you do want the 10. But if you have decided on the 10, you, just, you need to be organized and you need to be quick. And certainly we'll give you our tips on how to get your pre-order in um, as quick as possible nearer the time. On the subject of the uh, iPhone 10, um, a little bit of amusing news, or I certainly found it amusing. Um, Tim Cook, uh, Apple CEO, um, was interviewed by uh, Good Morning America um, earlier on this week, and he was questioned about the um, the high price tag of the iPhone 10. And Tim Cook, and that says a lot really about whether he's sort of out of touch or in touch. Um, claimed it was a defended it and claimed it was a value price. Yeah, but nine hundred and ninety nine pounds for a phone is a value price based on the technology inside. Um, then Cook's defence continued. He, he said that most people are now paying for their phones over long periods of time, and uh, very few people actually pay the price tag of the phone initially in terms of the money down. Although they will eventually. I mean, it's not like the phone's any cheaper. They will pay that amount. Um, and he also claims that people will actually, well, a lot of people will trade in their current phone. So that will reduce the price further. And um, some carriers or some mobile phone networks even throw in subsidies and discounts. Well, Mr. Cook, um, it doesn't matter if you trade in your current phone. It doesn't matter if you stagger the payments across 24 months you're still paying a thousand pounds for a phone. You know, it, it might be easier to digest. It might be easier to swallow, whatever, but you're still paying 1000 pounds for a phone, which is, I must admit, an outrageous price. Um, in terms of mobile phone networks offering subsidies and discounts, they haven't done that for years. <laughs> So on Tuesday early evening, Apple released iOS 11 for its iPhone and iPad platforms. And the latest version of their, their mobile operating system released ahead of the new iPhones. And I won't go through all of the features of iOS 11. Um, there's plenty to see and, and, and there's plenty to sort of play around with. Um, and I will put a link in the show notes uh, to Apple's um, official pages on iOS 11 so that you can you can have a browse if, if you are unsure of what it brings to offer. But um, in, there were a number of um, improvements and features that Apple didn't, I noticed, didn't go out of their way to uh, to publicize. And I thought I'd run through some of those instead because these are the ones that can get quite easily overlooked. So I thought it'd be more interesting to go through those ones. Um, first of all, um, a bit of a warning before I begin that many 32-bit um, applications will stop working with iOS 11. Now you may have some older apps that you downloaded 
oh from one of your older iphones way back and it stayed in your iphone backup and you know the app hasn't been updated by the developer for years and these are 32-bit apps um you will have from ios 10 had a warning every time you launched that app saying that you know the app should really be updated um and it will stop working eventually now's the point in time when it, where it stopped working you won't be able to launch those apps at all um you'll get a warning um explaining that the developer needs to update that app and if it's something of great importance to you i urge you to do a bit of research find out who the developer is or who the developers are send them an email send them a bit of feedback and you you know if they find out that people are still using that application they may very well go out there out their way to uh, to update it um but you will you'll get a notification saying that you know it, 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 it's an it's an old app it's an old 32-bit app it can't be run in ios 11 and then it will close um your data still will still be on your phone it will still be safe so if you were to carry that back up onto a previous version of ios onto a device with an older version of ios you'll be able to access the data from that application um so you may have a problem there depending on what you've still got lying on your phone or, or your ipad um and a couple of things from ios 11 um so apple were due to launch um their apple cash card their apple pay cash card so this is in effect was would be like a virtual um prepaid debit card where you'll be able to you would be able to do um transactions like send money to your friends and family and vice versa over iMessage um and that money would then end up in your apple pay um cash card account and the idea would be is that you could then um spend that money um and spend it in any sort of shop as a contactless payment using apple pay or you can transfer it to your own you know your own regular um bank account debit card and um it seems that's not quite ready yet and apple have said that will make a future update of ios 11 but it wasn't ready for launch another thing that wasn't ready for launch was iMessages in the cloud now apple promised us that um, all iMessages would be um, stored on iCloud from ios 11 um, and which will free up a lot of space because many of us have i iMessages going back several years and attachments and all sorts and um, it will allow us to synchronize um, messages and and, um, and and keep track of what we've read and what we haven't read etc between devices now um, no reason was given no explanation was given as to why uh, this feature uh, didn't make the um, the immediate launch of iOS 11 um, but it's been promised to return to us in, in, in a future update and um, I'm looking forward to it because I am looking forward to that five gigs of space that I am owed. So on to um, the features of iOS 11 that uh, you may not know about. Um, first of all, um, screen recording. Did you know that you can now record um, your actions in you know, navigating iOS or, or running apps in iOS or doing anything within iOS? You can now record it to a video file. Now, that's um, you know, that could be useful in all manner of ways um, if you're playing iOS games or, or creating tutorials on using an application. You, you, know, you have a, an instant video help file that you can share with people. Um, or, for example, um, 
if you um, you're like me, you're your unofficial tech support to your family. If you're trying to explain something, and it's, it's sometimes difficult, especially at the end of the phone, to explain how to do something, particularly in iOS, it's easiest to send a video so they can watch and see exactly what you you know how to do it. So um, screen recording is there. You need to enable it, and the best way of doing that is to jump into settings. And as you know, there's a new um, control center in iOS 11. Um, and you can cram a number of control center widgets and customize these widgets on your screen. So if you jump into settings and you search in settings for control center and you get to the screen where you can enable your widgets, you will see a number of widgets that um, are not enabled by default and amongst them you will see screen recording so once you enable that you will see an icon on your control center that will allow you to screen record um, next there's a number of um, options that can uh, help you free up storage um, and you will you'll notice that there is actually options um, in iMessage. So no, we can't move move our iMessage to the cloud just yet. But there is an option um, to basically auto delete old conversations um, that were sent or received over a year ago. And a, a lot of people who have had um, several iPhones over the, over the past few years uh, will find that they have had gigabytes of old com redundant conversations. And this can delete them in in one fell swoop. Um, it can you can also delete um, attachments from iMessages so for example videos or or large image files you can um, go through those on an individual basis they're presented to you in a list and just delete those too um, so all of this is done through the iPhone um, or the iPad storage um, option in settings so jump to settings and within settings search for storage uh, and you will see those uh, recommendations there. There is another way to save space, uh, and that is to offload unused apps. Now, this you can enable this um, this feature, which will um, essentially mean that the iDevice will delete automatically delete, or maybe that's a harsh word, will automatically remove uh, an application that you do not use frequently. Um, but what will happen is that the application's data will not be deleted. So the data itself, the you know the work that you have created or, or the settings or the, um, the custom settings that, that you put in place or whatever uh, for that application remain on your device so that you are able to install that application again if you do need that application in future and then continue from where you left off. So this is a great option. Uh, again, save space. You can switch it on so that it will essentially manage the apps on your phone automatically. Now, admittedly, I keep saying phone because obviously iPhone is on my mind, um, but this also does apply to um, the iPad. Um, all these features are on the iPad. In actual fact, the iPad benefited the most from iOS 11, and there's a number of exclusive features um, available to the iPad. And um, so some, some of the ones you may have missed, for example, is or one of the ones you may have missed is the slide down, um, the slide down keyboard, and this is actually quite brilliant because um, it allows you, if you're typing really fast, if you're, if you're, if you're, you know, you're writing an essay, you're writing a letter, you're writing something um, on your iPad, you can 
um, the um, so so basically, normally you would hit the shift key on the virtual keyboard and uh, to get to the numbers. You don't have to do that now. You simply uh, flick down. You simply flick down on a letter key, uh, the relevant letter key that that you know that has a number a number option and as you flick down it will um it will it will spit out the number rather than the letter so you can you can type pretty quickly once you get the hang of this and you don't have to constantly stop reorientate yourself find out where the shift key is etc etc so that's a good option um to have on the on this on the ipad um um several other things as well um for example the camera app now uh, can scan QR codes. So a lot of people used to use third-party apps to do that, uh, apps such as uh, Red Laser. And that can be done now. That can just be done. You just literally go into the camera app and you snap your QR code and you are immediately given an option. It identifies whether that code points to a website or to a contact or, or, or whatever. And you are presented with the option to do something about it. Do you want to go to that website? Do you want to save that contact? And again, there's no QR code option within the camera app. You literally snap a picture of the QR code. When you um, when you take screenshots now, the behavior of iOS is slightly different. Um, before, and, and I'm not the only one to do this. Um, lots of people take screenshots of something just just to keep notes. So be that um, a website or of interest. Um, um, you know, they might be doing some online shopping. They might want to remember the name of something. They will take a screenshot. And the problem is these screenshots all add up. They pile up in your storage. Um, now, Apple made it slightly easier. We have an early version of iOS where the photo app had a dedicated smart album for screenshots. So you could get to them and delete them all rather easily. Um, rather than sort of, you know, rustling through and, and for a needle in the haystack. Um, but um, the, the option now, it, it works even better because when you... Um, when you take a screenshot with the iPad or the or the iPhone, you're immediately presented with a thumbnail image of that screenshot. You can tap into that and you're given a number of options. Now, those options include sharing that screenshot. They include annotating that screenshot. And, and in terms of the iPad Pro, that means annotation via Apple Pencil. Um, and you, you know, you can or print in that screenshot and you have several options at your disposal. So the idea is to do what you want to do with that screenshot, save it, store it, you know, um, offload it, whatever. And but you won't have to clutter your photo library. Once you've performed that action, the photo, the, the screenshot disappears. Obviously, if you do want it to remain in your photo library, you don't act, you don't do anything. So that that's a good little uh, option to have there iOS 11 has also given us Wi-Fi network sharing um, and the way this works is that um, if you um, try to attempt to connect to um, a new Wi-Fi network um, and there's and you know, let's just say for argument's sake there's a Wi-Fi network you don't necessarily know what the password is uh, and there's someone near you um, with uh, an iOS 11 device um, and they're already connected to the network, that person can automatically share the network password with you. Um, now, because they're already connected, they have the control in the situation, um, and 
basically they can be they will be prompted to add you to the network to allow you to share the password but that's only if you're established as one of their contacts so if, if, if your contact details um is in their address book um and um you can only do that so you can only sort of um, give access if you're actually in your phone, using your phone, your phone is unlocked. So this can't be done under someone's nose. So it's a handy feature, I can imagine, not not, not in sort of everyday scenarios, but um, I, I can imagine in some, in some situations it is particularly handy to, uh, to, to uh, be able to share uh, network passwords without actually sort of reading them out, writing them down, that sort of thing. Um, Apple Music, Apple Music uh, that has now gone social. So um, Apple Music will now allow you, um, it will now suggest friends actually. It will go through your contacts list and suggest friends who have Apple Music. It will then allow you to share details of what you're listening to and even your playlists with your friends. And you have to opt in to do this. So, you know, um, your privacy is respected. Um, so once you've done that, your friends will be able to just just to follow what you're listening to, see what you're listening to and, and, and listen to what you're listening to. They'll also have access to specific playlists that you may want to share with them. So it's not all or nothing. You select what playlists you, you, you want to share with your friends and vice versa. So um, it's, it's, it's a nice little thing to have is just just to keep track of what people are listening to. And it's a great way of perhaps discovering new music. And related to Apple Music, there's finally, finally a feature that I was waiting for. Um, Apple have finally um, um, created an API that will um, allow access to the Apple Music library, the Apple Music streaming, streaming music library, your streaming music library from within third-party apps. Now, <laughs> that's explains. So, so if you can imagine, for example, um, I used to use uh, Runkeeper. I used to go jogging and use the Runkeeper app. And despite the fact that I subscribe to Apple Music, that I have a lot of my music on the cloud, Runkeeper would only be able to generate a playlist um, or you know start playing my music while I'm doing a, a run based on music that was actually stored on my device, synced and stored onto my device. But I have a lot more music. I have music on the cloud. I have access to Apple Music. Why can't I, why can't I access those um, particular uh, files, those particular tracks? And the way around it was to jump into the Apple Music app and just play your, play, you know, start playing your playlist or playing your songs, jump back into Runkeeper. And, and, and you don't have to do that anymore. Now these third-party apps now have access to the um, the Apple Music streaming library. Um, and that's it. They can access everything. So all your playlists on the cloud, everything can be accessible from any application now if they use that API. Another very welcome um, addition um, and improvement has been um, password autofill. Now, this existed before in the sense that you could save all your usernames and passwords for the various websites or uh, that you may visit, etc., on iCloud Keychain, which means jumping from device to device. If you're in Safari, um, you can easily retrieve those login details. The problem is 
the number of apps, the growing number of applications that require you to, to log in or authenticate yourself before you can use them. Now, those couldn't access the iCloud keychain. You'd have to literally jump into Safari settings, password history, remind yourself what the password is, jump back and log in or write the thing down on a piece of paper. Now you don't have to. Now applications have access to the iCloud keychain and password autofill will now work um, in applications as well as on page on web pages in Safari. That's an incredibly useful feature. It might sound really mundane. It might sound really uninteresting. But until you're there and until you need to log in quickly into an account and if you so be in 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 a third in in um in an application as opposed to a web page, you're going to really really appreciate that feature. Uh, one for your diabetics out there, like myself, um, the health app has had a minor tweak. Um, you can now record a great number of things, a great, a great more things in the health app. Um, before, you certainly could log your blood sugar levels, your blood glucose levels in the health app. Now you can actually log your insulin dosage, how much insulin you are taking. So that's a much welcome improvement there. Um, and I'm going through this list in no particular order, actually. It's just things that I've noticed that um, things that might have sort of um, escaped the radar, so to speak. Um, I've noticed that you can also um, there is a setting in for Safari. If you go to Safari settings, um, you can tell um, ad, you can basically um, prevent ad content from tracking you around the Internet. So, you know, you get those annoying ads that kind of um track you know the sites that you've been on and the search uh, strings that you use in, in search engines etc etc um yeah you can actually disable that or i'll tell them not or instruct them not to follow you uh via a toggle in safari settings i'm not sure how effective that actually is because i haven't um used it for that long yet but it's certainly worth a try um, there is, of course, um, a files app now, the new files app, which is on iOS 11. And um, when you fire this up, you'll notice that it takes you to iCloud, um, iCloud Drive. So you can store and access any of your files, any file type at all uh, from iCloud. But the good thing about the files app is that you can also connect your various cloud storage services. So we're talking Dropbox, uh, we're talking Microsoft OneDrive, we're talking Google Drive etc etc um, you can basically tap into all of those services and have access uh, to all of your files on the cloud um, through one application and you can even in some instances and it does depend on the service but in some instances instances sorry um, transfer files documents between um, one uh, storage provider to another Um, the Notes app uh, has received some improvements as well. And again, these are ones that you just might not be aware of. Um, a, a basic one to start off with, you can now create tables, um, you know, nicely formatted tables within the Notes app, which could be useful for some people. Um, another one is that um, Apple have essentially made the document scanner app redundant. So prior to iOS 11, I was using apps such as JetScanner to um grab an image of a document and to save it as a note um 
Now, what you can do in the Notes app itself is snap a photo of a document, a text-based document, and essentially the Notes app will transcribe that and store it as a note, an editable note. Uh, so that's a very handy feature that's right under your nose within the Notes app. Now, there was a number of changes um, with the iPad as well, and I won't go into them um, just now, but um, the iPad Pro in particular benefits a lot from iOS 11. Um, you can essentially annotate everywhere now um, any aspect of iOS from within apps themselves. So within the Mail app, um, you can grab, you can snap a screenshot or something and immediately annotate it with the Apple Pencil. Um, also, iOS, um, the iPad Pro benefits from a floating dock in iOS 11. So the way you can multitask and jump between applications is essentially changed so you can bring up no matter what application you're in on an ipad you can bring up a floating dock by swiping up from the bottom um, if you swipe up a little bit further you can then get into um, a view which shows you it's just a combination between um, control center and uh, multitasking almost like mission control on, on mac os and essentially you see windows of all of the applications even the ones in split screen view you can then essentially drag um, those application windows around so you can create a split screen um, multitasking view of any two applications provided they support it um, and work between the two simultaneously now you could do this before it didn't work in exactly the same way but you could do this before with the ipad pro but the difference now is that you can now drag and drop data between applications. So for example, I can drag um, the text, um, images, uh, hyperlink, uh, uh, et cetera, et cetera, um, uh, from a web page in Safari, right through to my word processing document, be it Word or Pages. Um, I, I can literally drag things around and it feels very much more like the way a real dare I say, a real computer works. So the iPad, um, the iPad has, has seen significant improvement with iOS 11. I'm still not entirely comfortable with it yet because um, the way you do things is very different to before. Um, and I'm still getting used to it. And this is why I don't want to speak about it too much right now, because I, I'd rather sort of get 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 used to it and to, to, to assess whether it does actually increase my productivity, whether I can, you know, sort of rely on the iPad a lot more and carry my Mac into uh, carry my Mac around with me a lot less. Um, so I'm going to give it a little bit of time and I'll get back to you folks about that. Likewise, there were improvements um, in the updates to the Apple Watch. Uh, so we had Watch OS 4 and the Apple TV, uh, TV OS 11. Firstly, Watch OS 4, um, basically the Updates uh, are well documented. I won't go into all of them. New watch faces, uh, various new um, layout improvements, etc. Um, one of one one point point to mention is the new Siri watch face. Now this one's pretty good. This um, uses artificial intelligence. It analyzes your analyzes your actions, analyzes your activity. So basically, the Siri watch face will show a number of tiles um rectangular tiles on your on your on your apple watch that you can sort of scroll um scroll through with the digital crown or flick with your finger and these are in a uh, chronological order and essentially what these are are 
little bits of information from the various applications that you use for example your calendar for example your reminders for example your photo application um even you know home home controls using HomeKit, and it's all based on your day basically based on your schedule so if you've got meetings coming up and tasks to complete um you will see those on your on your watch face at the relevant times of the day if you are listening to a podcast if you're listening to some music you will see that tile um on display on your watch face uh, so you can just tap into it and get straight to the playback controls um, you can also see things like the weather in and uh, in particular if there is a change in the weather um you know that that sort of gets pushed to the top so you can see it um, you can also um, have uh, photo reminders so for example you see little memories of you know what you were doing or what photos you took this time last year or you know i had one today reminding me of a friend's wedding many years ago and um you know you can customize what uh, applications the siri watch face uh, grabs its data from and it's apparently a watch face that's supposed to get better and better over time as it learns more about your habits um so I, I'm pretty impressed so far and it, it's now my go-to. I've moved from the activity watch face to the Siri one. I'm going to get to use it for a little bit longer to see if it improves. But it is handy just to have the right information in front of me without me fiddling around too much on my Apple Watch. In terms of the Apple TV, it's an odd one because um, we were promised a number of, of um, improvements with iOS um uh, or TV OS 11, um, one of which we have received, um, we have received um, synchronization between all Apple TV devices. So if you have more than one Apple TV device, you now have the option to make sure, ensure that the applications and the settings and the the, the order in which your application icons, your tiles are on on, on the TV, um, the what the TV OS interface are remain the same across all of your Apple TV units. Doesn't really benefit me. I've only got one Apple TV, but it will benefit some. Um, I believe we're also promised uh, the TV app, which was um, basically uh, an application that uh, our friends in the States have had for a while on Apple TV, which kind of aggregates um, the, um, the best content from all the various TV services that you may subscribe to or have access to. And it would essentially create curate um, a TV schedule for you. And that was supposed to be coming to the UK, iOS 11. Um, and I can't see it. Um, you know, I, maybe someone could shed some light to me, um, but I, I simply can't see it um, on my Apple TV. Um, the app just doesn't appear at all. And I'm so I'm not sure what's going on um, um, with that. Um, I will have to look into it and get back to you guys because I'm pretty sure that that application should have been there on day one for those in the UK. Um, one thing I did notice, and this is the final point I make, um, is I did notice a bug actually uh, upgrading to iOS 11 and to tvOS 11, and that bug was with HomeKit. Um, now, the home app on my iPhone and my iPad was uh, after the upgrade immediately complaining that it could not access the home hub 
couldn't find the home hub now the home hub in my house is the apple tv your ipad can also act as a home hub and you'd have to go out of your way to set up your ipad as a home hub if you if you if you wanted to do that now what that essentially means is that if you have any home kit devices light bulbs any smart devices etc it means that um siri can control those devices remotely so when you're away from home and away outside of your home network um the way uh siri does that uh, is siri communicates with the hub in my case the apple tv um so i wanted to find out why exactly uh the home app was grumbling about not finding a hub because um, HomeKit was certainly working when I was connected to the Wi-Fi. So I went to my Apple TV settings and it did actually say that I was logged in and the Home app was running just fine. So I wasn't sure what was going on. Uh, I restarted my devices several times and it didn't appear to make a difference at all. But the way I did resolve the problem was that I literally had to, in the Apple TV um settings i had to log out of my icloud account on the apple tv i then logged back in and then i was given the option to switch on HomeKit again i switched on HomeKit again and it all worked after that so that sounds like a bug so if any of you are driving yourselves mad as to you know why why your your home kit setup is no longer working it's a simple bug can easily be resolved but i imagine it, without doing the sort of trial and error that i did it would be quite infuriating well, that's about all the time we've got this week for this edition of The Intersection. Thanks again for joining us. Um, we will be back. Uh, we have more news from tech and pop culture, and hopefully we'll get another movies-related uh, movies episode in because we've got a lot to talk about in the world of film and cinema. Um, but I just wanted to say that um, if you haven't yet subscribed to us, please do so. You can find us listed on all major podcast directories, including iTunes. We're also on Tuned In Radio. If you prefer to be notified of new episodes via social media, you can um, follow us on Facebook. Uh, our Facebook page is facebook.com slash intersectioncast. On Twitter, our Twitter account is at Let's Intersect. You can drop us a Skype voicemail if you want to leave us any feedback or if you have any questions, any suggestions as to what you may want us to cover in future. Drop us a Skype voicemail. Our Skype account is is feedback at intersectioncast.com and also you can use that same email address feedback at intersectioncast.com to drop us a traditional email well thanks a lot again for listening and thank you for joining me uh, for this edition of the intersection and until the next time and those of you who are getting new iphones tomorrow enjoy them that's a wrap the intersection. intersection.